If you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter number 3. Welcome to all of our church family today and also welcome to all of our guests. I see a number of guests. We are thrilled that you're here. We hope that you feel comfortable, hope that you feel at home, hope that you've been blessed so far by the worship service and very, very grateful that you chose to worship with us at Fellowship Baptist Church today. We're continuing our series, Gospel Truths That Lead to Gospel Living. We're in Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be in verses 1 through 11. And I'm preaching a message today that I'm entitling Ministers of the Mysterious Gospel. Now I know that the word choice is unique, especially when I use the word mysterious. But I didn't just pull that out of the air. I pulled that from the very text that we're going to read today. That's the word choice that Paul used to describe an aspect of the gospel that we'll learn about today. He says there's actually an aspect of the saving gospel, the good news of the gospel that was mysterious in his day. And in some ways it's still mysterious in our day. And the only cure to making this gospel less mysterious is for those that have been saved by this gospel to fulfill the calling of being a minister of the gospel. As we define the word mystery today, we define it like this, something that's difficult or impossible to understand. So in our text today, the Apostle Paul is going to write of a mystery, something that those before him in all of Scripture didn't fully understand. Something that that Paul says that God revealed just to him at this time and revealed to some other New Testament apostles and prophets. And then Paul feels compelled and inspired by the Spirit of God to write to this church at Ephesus and to write to all future churches like Fellowship Baptist Church so that we could understand this mystery. Look at how he introduces it in the first five verses of Ephesians 3. For this cause I, Paul, The prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he, that's God, made known unto me the mystery. Then he adds this, as I wrote a four and few words, which he's talking about the last message we preached. He talked about this mystery a little bit. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And then he tells us this isn't something that other people have known. He says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul is speaking about something that very few people in his day, in his culture, in his world, and even in this church truly understood. What is the mystery? Look at verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and are the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Here's the mystery. It's the mystery of the unifying power of the gospel in that it can... by Jesus' death on the cross, that has so much power that it can take two different people groups that hate each other and bring them together and make them friends. 
Make them allies. You see, before Christ came to die on the cross, we talked about this two weeks ago, the Jews and Gentiles hated each other. You think the division today is bad in our country. You should have seen the division between these two people groups. Basically, here's how they displayed it. Jews would not eat with Gentiles. The reason they wouldn't eat with Gentiles is because Gentiles didn't adhere to the Jewish ceremonial laws of of purification and, and cleanliness. So they wouldn't let them at their table. On top of that, Jews wouldn't worship with Gentiles. They were so serious about it that in the temple, they erected a wall. And on the wall was an inscription that basically said this, no Gentiles welcome. And if Gentiles were to go around the wall into the Jewish side of the court of the temple and they would be caught doing so, the inscription on that wall said they would be inviting sure death upon themselves. In other words, if you're a Jew, you can worship with us. If you're a Gentile, you're not welcome in our congregation. They hated each other. But as we discovered two weeks ago, Christ came and died on the cross. And that abolished all of that hostility. It tore down that dividing wall, which shows us that the blood of Christ has the power and the ability to reconcile all men to him and to each other in spite of their differences. You got to understand this, that Paul says that the Gentile and the Jew both are equal partakers of the grace of God. The Jew and the Gentile, they are both fellow heirs. They are both part of the same body. And that was a mystery. And here's why it was a mystery in Paul's day. Because that's just not the way it it, it had ever been up to this point. Remember, a mystery is something you can't wrap your your mind around. It's something that perhaps you could could just see that that, that on a, a Broadway stage there would be the curtain. And it's always mysterious what's behind the curtain. That's what this unifying power of the gospel, the people of this church and other churches and in this world, they truly believe that it was impossible for Jews and Gentiles to worship and serve and know the same God. And Paul said, I want to be a part of the solution to that problem. I want to make this mystery less mysterious. And by the way, the unifying power of the gospel is still mysterious today. Well, what do you mean? Everybody knows who Jesus is. Well, all you got to do is look around the United States of America to see all the divisions. To understand that men and women still believe that, that because we're different, we can't get along. I truly believe that there are even good meaning Christians that because of racial differences, political differences, economic differences, social differences, really believe that those are dividing points. Listen, friend, to Jesus, those are not dividing points. You can stand where you want on whatever side of the aisle you want. But at the end of the day, Jesus died for every man. And he made it possible for all men, no matter the skin color, no matter the political views, no matter the economic or social status. The blood of Jesus Christ made it possible for all men to come to the Savior. But based on the divisions we see in our world... Many people still think that's a mystery. How's that possible? And you know why it's still a mystery? Two reasons. Number one, Christians can be divisive people. And so we don't help issues. But number two, we don't take the same gospel that changed us to other people. 
You see, here's what Paul saw. He saw a problem. And the problem was after he got saved, he was a Jewish man. After he got saved, he saw a problem with his people. And here was the problem. They truly believed that the Gentiles were pagans who couldn't come to know God. And he said, instead of getting on that side of the aisle, I'm going to cross the aisle. I'm going to break down that wall in the temple. I'm going to go to the Jewish court of the temple. And I'm going to, I'm going to preach to all men. And, and Paul called himself this in verse 7, a minister of this gospel. You know what a minister meant? A servant. He felt bound. He called himself a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He felt literally like he was bound by God. He was obligated to go and preach this unifying gospel because he had grown up in this, in this religious sect of Hebrew people where he genuinely ostracized all Gentiles. And when God saved him from that false teaching, God put a burden in his heart to go and reach Gentiles with the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did. And here's what we learned from Paul. It's not enough to believe in a whosoever gospel. Say amen to a whosoever gospel. Sign off on a whosoever gospel. Be changed by a whosoever gospel and not yet preach the whosoever gospel to those around you. That's not okay. And here's where the problem is. Christians get saved and they say nothing about it. They have been drawn by the blood of Christ and by the cross and they place their faith and life's been changed. Their eternal destination has been totally changed from that of hell to that of heaven. And yet they never follow God's call on their life to become a minister of the gospel. And here's why. Because they're, they're freaked out by that word minister. They think ministers are the ones that do funerals. Ministers are the ones that do weddings. Ministers are the guys that stand behind the pulpit on Sunday morning when we do church. But that word minister has nothing to do with full-time ministries and occupation. That word minister simply means a servant. We're all servants of God. And here's what happens. Whenever you choose to follow Christ, without even knowing it, you automatically sign up to help other people find and follow Christ. It's not a voluntary job. The Bible says this, when Jesus went and found Simon, Peter and Andrew, two fishermen. And he said, hey, guys, follow me. Two of his original 12 disciples. And they came after him. And the, the book of the, uh, uh, of the Bible, I think it's in Mark, says that what Jesus said to them directly after they followed him. Here's what Jesus said to them. I will make you to become fishers of men. What's the point? As soon as you follow Christ, you are commissioned as a minister of the gospel to help other people follow Christ. It comes with the territory. It's a package deal. And so with the time we have remaining, I'm going to learn from Paul's example. The man that did something about it. The man that wanted to make the mysterious gospel less mysterious by telling others about it. And we're going to examine the life of perhaps the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth outside of Jesus himself. Because he teaches us three important truths about what a true minister of the gospel looks like. The first one's found in verse 7 and 8. Look at your Bible. Whereof I was made a minister... According to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Here's the first truth. A minister of the gospel is motivated by the grace of God. Did you see how the grace of God had a humbling effect on Paul's life? Do you see how he called himself the least of all saints? Why did he say that? Because Paul was saved out of a murderous past. Literally, the man, as a Pharisee, would travel around 
And he would yank people out of their homes who, who had converted to Christianity out of Judaism. He would imprison them. Oftentimes he, 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 he would uh, uh, put them before court where they'd be sentenced to death. He would literally partake in the stoning of these Christian moms and Christian dads and Christian children and Christian pastors. And so for him to think that God would save his wretched soul humbled him. That God's grace would reach so low and so far as to rescue him from his past absolutely humbled him. Can I ask you a question? Does the grace of God in your life humble you still? Does sometimes it knock you off your feet and put you on your knees where all you can say is, thank you, God, for saving my soul? Can you sing amazing grace? My chains are gone. And your mind go back to the day where he broke those chains free. And are you humbled by that today? Or is it just another hymn at church? See, the reason why Christians stop ministering the gospel to others and sharing the gospel with others is because they quickly lose sight of how the grace of God has changed their life. Makes me remember a story I read a long time ago as a student in Bible college about a poor man that worked for a king. The poor man did menial tasks day after day after day, but the king noticed how well he did them. And so the king quickly promoted him. Well, the poor man's co-workers got jealous and began to observe him and try to find something on which to indict him and get him in trouble with the king. And they noticed that this poor man was going to a corner closet once every day for about 10 minutes. He would go and he'd come out. He would go and he would come out. They knew that he was up to something. Something no good. And so they snuck into the closet when he left one day. And to their surprise, they found a bunch of old tattered garments, robes and, 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 and clothing that had holes in it, dust all over it, very ragged. And so they picked those up and they took them to the king and they tried to narc on him. And the king brought the poor man in and said, what are these robes? What are these garments? Why are they in this closet that your friends are saying you go to every day? He said, sir, he said, king, I go to that closet once every day and I leave those garments in there because those are the garments that I wore as a servant before you promoted me. Sometimes I put those garments on because they help me to remember what I used to be before you took me in. They help me feel like I used to feel when I was a servant. And every time I look at those garments, I do it every day because it keeps me humble. And if you're saved in here today, You've been made royalty by the King of Kings. You've been more than promoted. You've been adopted. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been chosen by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it would do us good to remember what we used to be every once in a while. It'd be good for us to go into our prayer closet, fall on our knees and remind ourselves of what the grace of God has done in our life. He pulled us out of the miry clay. He set our feet upon a solid rock. He established our goings. He put a new song in our mouth, even praise to our God. It would be good for us every once in a while to go to our closet and sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It would do good for us to remember I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was on my way to a devil's hell, but by God's good grace, I'm now going to heaven. It would be good for you to not have to come to church and be reminded of that. But to be reminded of what God's done in your life every single day, because when the grace of God is fresh on your heart, it will come out of your mouth. 
And that's what motivated the Apostle Paul to take this word, this gospel to the Gentiles. Second truth is found in the latter part of verse 8. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see, verse 9, what is the fellowship of the mystery. Now here's the second truth. A minister of the gospel is willing to preach Christ to all people. Did you notice that Paul intentionally said, I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles? That was a group of people he was supposed to hate. He was raised to hate. He said, those are the people I'm running to with the gospel. He said, I am preaching the Christ to all men. And by the way, that wasn't just words to him. You can read throughout the New Testament. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament and you can follow his missionary journeys. And it was Gentile people that he was so passionate about reaching, two of which were young men, Titus and Timothy. They have books of the Bible named after them. They were two Gentile boys that Paul reached and he raised and he mentored and they became pastors themselves. In nearly all the at least 14 churches that the Apostle Paul started were full of both Jews and Gentiles because Paul believed that if the gospel was for all, he was commissioned to take the gospel to all. He couldn't discriminate. He couldn't pick and choose. He couldn't talk to the, to the ones he was comfortable with and avoid the ones that he was uncomfortable with. He couldn't dodge the people he differed with. He had to, he had to, to follow and, and, and be obedient to the Spirit of God in his life to, to share the gospel with all men. Can I ask you today, how much do you really care about the person, please listen, with a different color of skin than you? How much do you really care about the person with a different cultural background as you? How much do you really care about the person who votes different than you? How, I don't, I'm not saying you ought to agree with them. You don't have to. I'm asking you how much you care about them. They're a human being made in the image of God. How much do you really care about the person you work with or, or that family member who has a totally different set of moral values than you? Well, how do I know how much I care about them? When's the last time you told them about Jesus Christ? Oh, I know you, I know you argue with them on Facebook. Hello? I'm asking when's the last time you invited them to church? Because that shows genuinely how much we care about people different than us. And James instructs the church this in his book, James 2.1. He says, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. He commands those in the church to not discriminate based on any outward difference because the minister of the gospel truly understands that on the inside, we are all the same. We are rotten to the core. We are sinners in need of a savior. You know what? That's why I love our bus ministry in this church. We, 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 we pick up kids, picked up kids today that may have not come to church outside of our bus, picking them up on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night for our kids' clubs. And I love that we don't discriminate in regards to who gets on that bus, who comes into this building. We pick up kids from all different racial backgrounds and family backgrounds and religious backgrounds, all kinds of different economic situations because we believe God loves each of them, loves each of them the same and, and he wants to save every single one of them. That's why this church this year We'll give nearly $300,000 to worldwide missions. Nearly 300000 That's on top of our tithes. 
That's in offerings that, that the members of this church give on a weekly basis above their 10% tithe. They give an offering to missions and those missions money we disperse to missionaries in China and Europe and Africa in, in, in all kinds of different places around the world. Why are we passionate about that? Why does Fellowship Baptist Church give so sacrificially to missionaries around the world? Because we believe the gospel is for all men. Man, I'm passionate about that. Passionate about it. Final truths found in verse 10 or 11. This is amazing. Look at verse number 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold, that word manifold means multicolored, wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That sounds like a bunch of spiritual mumbo jumbo. So let me boil it down to this phrase. A minister of the gospel is part of an eternal purpose to bring glory to God through the church. One guy a lot smarter than me helps us to understand what I just read. The verses, at least. He says this. Here it will help us to imagine a cosmic drama. The theater is history. The stage is the world. The actors are the church. The writer is God who directs and produces the drama. And the audience? The angels. That's what the verse says. It said principalities and powers in heavenly places. He goes on to say the history of the Christian church is the graduate school for angels. It is through the old creation, the universe, that God reveals his glory to humans. It is through the new creation, the church, that reveals his wisdom to angels. John MacArthur helps us to understand it even better. He says, in the classroom of God's universe, he is the teacher. The angels are the students. The church, that's us. We're the illustration. And the subject is the manifold of the multicolored wisdom of God. Now, I want this to sink in. What could we, the church, possibly teach the angels about the God they already dwell with? What wisdom could they glean from us that they don't already know? Now think about that. I'm talking about the angels that, that Matthew says gather an innumerable host to praise God. The angels that Matthew in his gospel says delight in beholding the Father's face. The angels who were present when the stars were hung and the, space and the planets were set in course. The angels that saw the wisdom of God speak creation into place. And, and the angels that have navigated the immense distances of space. The angels that have watched God's people from the very beginning like Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Daniel and David and so many more. They've witnessed the incarnation of Christ. Jesus Christ leaving his throne of glory, becoming flesh, dying on the cross, but raising again. That's what they've seen. What more is, is there for the angels to learn? And why is it that we can be the only teachers of this specific wisdom? Here it is. Fellowship Baptist Church takes part, when we, when we are ministers of the gospel, we take part in teaching the angels about this mysterious gospel. The wisdom they glean from us is that God's saving power reconciles, saves, changes, and unites the Jew and the Gentile. 
the black, the brown, the white man, the rich, the poor, the socially elite and the social outcast. This is the multicolored wisdom of God that they can only learn by watching us. so, So when we become ministers of the gospel through the work of our church, watch this. We become the means through which the angels learn that God loves all people. And it gets better because when the angels see this, they get excited. When the angels bend over heaven and they look into Fellowship Baptist Church and they see souls saved and they say people baptized because they've already been saved. Do you know what the angels do? They, they burst out in a chorus of praise to God. That's what Luke 15 tells us. I mean, Jesus himself said that one of the things the angels are watching for more than anything else is for when somebody on earth gets saved, no matter their skin color, no matter their political opinion, no matter their demographic, no matter their social standing, whoever it is that gets saved, the angels sing praise to God. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over just one sinner that repenteth. Oh, you got to get the implications of this. When you show somebody the message of the gospel, when you lead them to Christ, you become the means or the vehicle through which a chorus of praise is sung in heaven. You become a part of the eternal purpose of God in heavenly places through this church where where, where praises and glory is given to God. What a motivation to be a minister of the gospel. I mean, we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And what is there to be a part of bigger than a soul coming to know Jesus and a choir breaking out in praise to God in heaven? But I want you to notice a key part of that. That the vehicle through which this happens. Watch, Paul says what it is. It's not the civic organization. It's not the nonprofit that you're involved with in this town. It's not the team you play on. The vehicle through which you get to take part in this eternal purpose is the church. That's what the verse says. It's, it's when the angels behold what's going on in the church. Which tells me this. If the church is God's means through which he gets eternal glory through the salvation of lost souls. We better be really committed to the church. Oh, I know you can do a lot of gospel work by yourself. But you can get a lot more done when you're doing it with your church. What does that mean? Well, let me give you a couple ideas. You can take the next step of commitment by becoming a member of the church. I wish I had time to preach an entire uh, message on why that is important. But that is a step of commitment that every believer needs to take after they get saved. In fact, we're baptizing 11 people into the membership of Fellowship Baptist Church today. And and some of those just got saved recently and are getting baptized to go public with their faith. And others have been saved for a very long time. But they want to join the membership of Fellowship Baptist Church heart and hand. They want to take that next step of commitment. Maybe that's what you need to do. If you need to do that, man, I'd love to visit with you about that. If you've already done that, maybe you need to make a commitment to get involved in the work of the gospel through the church. I'm talking about a weekly service opportunity. Boy, you can work with kids. You work on that bus ministry I talked about. 
You come on Wednesday nights and help kids memorize scripture. You can work in the nurseries. You can be an usher. You can be a greeter. You can run the slides. You, you, you can sing in the choir. There's all kinds of gospel work that you can do on a weekly basis. What are you committed to, church member? Now, coming and going, that's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about picking up a shovel, getting to work for the Lord through this church. I'm talking about being involved. Maybe that's your next step of commitment. You want to be part of the eternal purpose of bringing glory to God through the church? You got to do something through the church. Maybe, maybe you can get involved in one of our local outreaches. Maybe you've heard of our slogan, if you're a guest, liberal love. That's because we are convinced that the church exists to show love to a lost and dying world. And one of the things we try to do is, is show love liberally by way of benevolence, just, just giving of ourselves to the community. We do that in a number of ways. During Mother's Day, we give free oil changes for single moms and wives of deployed military. You can get involved in something like that. We, we go to pick one public school in our community every Christmas season. And we have all the teachers bring their Christmas gifts because they're so busy during that time. And we wrap their Christmas gifts for free for them and provide them breakfast that morning. I, I could mention a lot of other liberal love things we do, but that's just be, us being the hands and feet of Jesus. You can get involved in that and you should. And when you do, you are part of an eternal purpose of bringing glory to God. You become a teacher for the angels. You know what else you can do? You can give. No, 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 the, the, the nearly $300,000 a year doesn't fall from the sky. It's people that work eight hours a day, 40 plus hours a week and say, I'm, I'm going to put God first in my finances. But on top of that, I'm going to give an offering. And all of that is going to go towards a mission work or a missionary somewhere around the world. And some people give $5 a week. Some people give $50 a week. Some people give a hundred and more dollars a week to missions on top of their tithe. I want to ask you church member, this isn't for non-church members. This isn't for guests. I want to ask you church member, have you made that step of commitment with your finances? Are you giving towards missions work through this church? Because here's what happens. You might not be able to give a lot, but God's power has the way of multiplying what little we give. Just like he did the little boy's lunch. And, and, and it's amazing that a bunch of blue collar, normal, everyday people can give on top of their tithe and it, be, and it equal almost $300,000 in one year. We still have to pay a building payment. We still have to keep the lights on. It's not that we cease to give our tithes, but it's that people just give sacrifice equally and that looks different for everybody but God multiplies that and I'm telling you there are people in our church that every week give that missions offering and the offering and they are striking up the band in heaven because their dollar went toward a missionary who the next Sunday was able to lead an African boy to church to church to, to the Lord to Christ well he probably led him to church too you understand my, 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 my challenge is this if being a minister of the gospel places you at a position to bring glory to God in heaven among the angels and you, you accomplish that through your involvement in the church, you need to ask yourself very carefully, what is my next step of commitment in this church? Oh, I love nonprofits. I'm involved in several of them in our community. Serve on boards. Involved in our community. I love it. But not to the exclusion of being mainly involved in this place because this is the vehicle through which God gets the glory through the salvation of lost souls. So let's review. Paul said there's this mysterious gospel. 
People don't understand the fact that it has the power to reconcile men to each other, even though they're so different. And the reason they don't understand it, even today, is because saved Christians aren't telling them about it. And if you want to commit to being a minister of the gospel today, you need to commit to being motivated by the grace of God in your own life. When's the last time your salvation humbled you? You need to get in your closet and see those old tattered rags and say, thank you, God, for pulling me out of the miry clay. Maybe you need to do that today. It's not just being motivated by the grace of God. It's being willing to give Christ to all men. Are you discriminating? Is there prejudice in your witness? Are you a respecter of persons? And, and then you need to understand that when you invite someone to church, you bring them to church, you share the gospel with them at work. You're not just leading a soul to Christ. You are taking part in bringing glory to the God of heaven. And that is such a privilege. And if you need to step up your involvement and commitment to your local church, you need to do that. Because that's the means through which you can take part in that eternal purpose. God, help us to be convicted today that we are called and commissioned to be ministers of the gospel. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.